Hello, everyone. This is Slade Heathcott, and you're listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast. What's going on, bud? Just chilling, brother. Just got back into Tampa. Been all over the place. You're going to have to talk me off the ledge here with my Yankees, man. Is this series over? <laughs> man, nothing's ever over when you're in New York with that short field and right. You really mean that or no? Yeah, I really mean that. I mean, the game's never over. I mean, the Houston Houston looks good. I mean, I mean, you saw with Garrett Cole, and now with this rain delay, it's real. I mean, especially with this this pushback, a lot of things could happen. Let me ask you this: because you're real friends, like true friends, with a bunch of these current Yankees, what was that locker room like after Game Two, that crushing extra innings loss? Then also Game Three, when they they seem to have so many opportunities against Cole and they didn't capitalize. What's that locker room like when the media is not in there? You know, it just depends on that dynamic. Um, you know, one thing with the Yankees is they're very, um, even the guys, they really try to keep that within that clubhouse. It's really like a family and, you know, the extended family is part of that. But when it comes to the persona and uh, I guess the vibe of the clubhouse, my guess is they're still pretty upbeat with the young team that they are. They are good. And, um, you know, baseball just kind of like that, especially with Garrett Cole when you're facing Garrett Cole. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know how many they had left on base. There had to have been eight or nine left on base at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that is that is frustrating. But you're also facing Garrett Cole. <laughs> so, I mean, that guy is a, a man among boys. I have so many athletes on who are retired from the game and stuff. Are you still fi- Are you still a fan of the game or no? Um, I watch it from here, here and there, and I keep up. It's something that I, uh, I've been kind of getting back into a little bit more, just from my side of things. Um, in 2020, I really want to try to like mess around and do some commentating, just see, just test it to see if it would be any fun and things of that nature. So it's something I'm starting to watch back in. When I played, I didn't watch whatsoever. Period. Which is fascinating because you get some guys like uh, like A Rod who says he goes home and he'll have like six games on DVR, and then you get guys like Jeter who's like, "Yeah, I just played. I'm not going to go watch my work." So you one of those guys who just didn't watch it? I never watched it. Um, yeah, but A Rod's a different type of person. That guy is just that guy was literally just baseball is in his DNA from the very ground low. All right, here's my question. My question's with a guy like Stanton. I'm not saying, hey, call up your boy Judge and ask him what's are people pissed off? He misses games two and three with injury. How does he come back from that? The fans are furious with him. Is there any resentment towards him in the locker room? Like, dude, come on, man. It's the ALCS. If you have to limp to the plate like Kirk Gibson did, limp to the plate. No, because especially at this level, um, you know, you, you have to – I mean, the same thing kind of ha- – I mean, the way I look at it is when I went to Oakland and tore my quad um, – it came down as a player in that clubhouse and a player in, you know, when you get to the big league level, everybody wants to win. That's the, that's the objective. Let's win. So the chance that he can hurt the team by him going out there and, you know, that, that he's going to get eaten alive for that. And then it would be, you know, that New York would be saying, you know, he should have said something. He shouldn't have played. He's hurt. So it's a tough position to be in. Now, I don't think guys are – I mean, injuries happen. Nobody wants an injury. Nobody's going to fake an injury for the most part. Um, there's been some guys that are, quote-unquote, very soft. But, uh, you know, Stan's not one of those guys. He's he's a he's a grinder just like everybody else. He really – he puts his work in, things of that nature. So I think that it's probably that he feels that he would – 
if there's a chance that he could hurt the team, it's not about him. It's about the team. So I think that's probably what, where they're at in the clubhouse. And I think most of the guys are the same way, but I mean, honestly, it's not like his who's playing his spots, not a good player and things of that nature. So it's just a tough position to be in. Slade, the game's over. You, you're driving out of Yankee stadium. Do you, any of the players you guys throw on WFAN ESPN radio and hear what the fans are saying ever? No. That's too, especially in New York. I love the New York um, fan base. They're awesome, but they're also extremely, extremely hard. Um, and, and I don't think fans understand that from their standpoint, but it is. And that's that's one of the most amazing things about Derek and, and, and how he handled the press for 23 or 24 years and handled the fans and was able to shake it off. That takes a different caliber of a person. It's, it's way harder to play. If you're a person that really gets into the crowd and um, a part of the crowd and that's something that you're about, um, it, it really makes it a challenge sometimes in New York. And that's why some guys really struggle when they come from a smaller market team to the big market of the Yankees. Um, it's just totally different. Even when I was with San Francisco, which is pretty large market, nothing like the Yankees. Nobody comes close to the fan base, the media, the pressure the platform that that goes into that, and some guys that they struggle with that. Two years ago, Yankees lose Game 7 in Houston. Every person, myself included, was like, okay, we lost. We were really young. The only thing Cashman has to do is get a starting pitching. Uh, two years ago, he didn't want to take on Verlander's contract. Last year, he didn't want to trade, um, you know, Andujar. I think it was Clint Frazier and Adams for Garrett Cole. Now they're the two best pitchers in baseball. Fan-wise and player-wise, you guys ever like, come on, man, Cash, make this trade. We need a stud pitcher. This bullpen by committee, who cares if the regular season you starting pitches is going five innings? Look who's in the World Series. It's Strasburg. It's uh, Scherzer. It's going to be Cole and Verlander. Do you guys ever say, dude, we just need a stud? When I was there, I mean, we kind of had the same issue in 2015 as well. Um, Tanaka was having a tough year um, with the injury and stuff like that, and we knew that we were going to be a pitcher or two down. From a player's side, um, you know, we only know so much. We can have a really good idea. We know what's going on around the league. We hear the talk. We we kind of have a good idea of what's going on, but there's still those higher-level decisions and, um, you know, the the pros and cons of making those decisions have to carry a lot more weight than uh, from our perception of it. But, you know, if you are the Yankees and you are trying to do – and uphold what Yankees stand for, it wouldn't have been much of a reach for them to go out and get Garrett Cole. Um, you know, you also got to think that these guys are really young um, and three possible superstars. So it, it's a tough decision on which way is the right way to go. In hindsight, it's always easy to look back and say that. But, I mean, pitching has been great. The players have been great the last several years. But, it's always seems like it ends up being one pitcher short. So I would be really surprised after this year and see how the, the playout goes out. And if they end up losing out of the series, there's got to be even more pressure there to go out and get um, another starting pitcher, especially with how many, how backloaded their system is. That's one thing the Yankees are so terrible about is backloading minor leaguers that, and they almost like their philosophy is I'd rather them sit in triple a than to help produce for another big league team. And I, I completely understand the uh, business strategy behind that, but it's just like, guys, playoffs is playoffs. 
people in New York don't want these playoffs. They want titles. I'm going to put a little GM hat on you. Do you just go up to Garrett Cole and be like, here's a blank check, put in the years and money you want, come to the Bronx? Yeah, it would be interesting. It'd be interesting to see that and see what that – because you also got to – doesn't matter how good your players are. Um, look at the Red Sox this year. Mm-hmm. On paper, goodness. So it, there's also that challenge of trying – at a GM perspective of trying to figure out one of the most important pieces, how how is this clubhouse going to change? How is it going to be affected by this player that we bring in? Um, but yeah, from a GM standpoint, if it's not Garrett Cole, I'm going out and I'm getting I'm getting a a, a number one this year. Your son is he a baseball fan? Oh, I can't keep him away from it. <laughs> Who's this guy? Oh man, dude, he uh, now nah, he's not old enough for that, but just baseball. So he's four and a half, and okay. he, he just uh, I mean it's every day. Just right? have it's, a catch with me, Dad, every day. Oh, we hit every day. <laughs> Every day and probably two or three times a week, we have like a neighborhood baseball game that, that we've kind of started up. So that's been a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. All right. Hey, 2009, drafted 29th overall. Where were you when you got that call? State championships in uh, Round Rock, Texas. Who calls you up? Damon Oppenheimer. And what's that call? Did you, did you know originally, hey, the Yankees like me or I'm probably going to be a first-round guy? Uh I had a I had a pretty good idea. I thought I was going to go to the Orioles a couple picks later, uh, as a pitcher actually, and probably a minute or two before they actually announced it, I got the call from Damon. I had a decent idea that I was going to, and I knew that it was between the Yankees and Orioles, uh, but I was actually trying to push to to go to the Orioles just because I thought that pitching was kind of my best way to get to the big leagues. What does that phone call say? What does he say? Slade, what? Hey, Slade, we've uh, made a decision to take you with our first pick. Um, there's a lot going on. Let it kind of cool down. We'll be in touch uh, later. I don't remember exactly <laughs> what he said, but it was very short, very simple. I'm in a hotel room, and there's like 15 guys in there watching the draft online. <laughs> um, and I get this call, and I'm like, this is I'm trying to keep it under wraps. I have no idea what they're calling to say. So it was a it was a cool period, but yeah, it was nice, short, sweet, simple, and they ended up calling me back the next day uh, after state championship and all that. So trivia: Who went first in that draft? Oh my goodness, I have no idea. Strasburg went went one. Was it Strasburg? Yes, yes, yes. For some reason. Hey, uh, coolest uh, cooler thing being on a in a video game or being on a baseball card? Video game, no question. Really? Yeah, of course. You can go sit down and play with yourself. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Slade, dumbest purchase you made when you get that first big check? I bought my F-250. You regret it? Uh, I don't know if I regret it, but I look back and say, eh, there's a lesson learned there. Um, it was it was my dream. I, I, I didn't grow up with money. I didn't grow up with nice cars. I, I drove a beater in high school. I I bought it for a thousand dollars because it was flooded at Katrina. Uh, a lot of guys, friends that I had had a lot of money growing up, and they always had nice vehicles. And I always wanted a truck, and I finally had the ability to do it, and I didn't hold back. You were just in the Big Apple for a few days. We couldn't link up. First meal here, you land. 
whatever, JFK, LaGuardia, what's the first thing you have to eat? Somewhere, don't care what the bagel shop is, but I want a bagel and locks. Really? Do you ever uh, go to Russ and Daughters, Lower East Side, best in the city? What is it called? Russ and Daughters on the Lower East Side. It's on, uh, on Houston Street. All right. That's one time. I, that's a place I don't spend a whole lot of time. Um, when, you get, when you get back in here, we'll go down there. Dude, I love it. Um, I love I, – I truly buy into it. The bagels in New York are different. I think it's the water. <laughs> hey, uh, when you lived in New York, where did you, uh, you live when you played 33rd, here? 33rd and 3rd, so like lower, mid, east, which from what I understand, it's like a booming, popping place. Me and John Ryan lived there, and uh, it was like quiet, but it was mm-hmm. nice. Like we walked uh, like six or seven blocks and got on the four train straight to the stadium, so it was really simple. Um, but yeah, it, I've heard it's, uh, popping now. What, uh, what were you doing in New York this time? I know you were up here doing some, uh, real stuff. Um, so I had, I had meetings with major league baseball commissioner's office. I had three different meetings inside there. And then I had a, uh, meeting with the MLBPA regarding the minor league nonprofit and then my Dominican project. So, uh, both, all three meetings with MLBPA or MLB and then with the MLBPA were, uh, kind of a split agenda meeting between more than baseball and the Dominican project. Let's talk about the Dominican project because I'm probably coming down there with you. What exactly are you doing down there? What's the big issue there that we don't really read about too much now? So, I mean, if you've seen social media now, you see that there's a plastic crisis going on down there and a litter crisis. It's covering the beaches. It's it's unbelievable. We did a beach cleanup with Cano, Ahmed Rosario, and Mel Rojas Jr., and then about 95 other um players from the Yankees and Oakland Athletics Academies. Um, that was Playa Montesino right outside of Santa Domingo. And we went back. That was down there last month. And we went back to that beach. And it just re, it just reiterated and re-showed me the the power of of what's going on. Because beach cleanups are a waste of our time if we don't have a plan, if we don't have – Something that's going to stop the production of plastic, something that's going to educate the people because that beach was five times as worse um, and we completely cleaned it up. So and to come back eight months later and to see it as bad as it was, it's it was unbelievable. And you're talking about a country that has six and a half million tourists, which is the most traveled Caribbean country out there. Um, so we did a beach cleanup with Parlay eight months ago, and they picked up the, the plastic, blah, blah, blah. They'd used it for their own deal. And I started thinking there's got to be a way to use this to help the people of the DR. And I started looking, and I ran across a company called Plastic Bank. And what Plastic Bank done has done from a very high level, they partnered with IBM Watson. They used blockchain for a financial network, and they created a social currency around plastic. So – We've been working, it's been right at about eight, nine, ten months now, and finally have put together the package to be able to create anywhere between 2,500 and 6,000 jobs in the country of the DR by having incentivized workers, motivated workers that are able to go out there and pick up the plastic. The plastic's everywhere. I, uh, Me and Chris Dickerson traveled the entire island. We drove the island, stopped. Shot a lot of footage, found spots. I'm actually going up in the air here in about two weeks down there to map out the island. But what we're able to do is we're able to take that that plastic, set up a network of schools, churches, other businesses that want to sort and store plastic. So that way it eliminates us having to waste money 
paying for fuel and driving small loads here and there. It also helps with not having to pay for storage fees. So what we're able to do is the challenge for recycling facilities is if they get a ton worth of garbage or 10 tons worth of garbage, they have to have somebody to sort through it. Um, and then that they lose their value because they are not able to pay the manpower to be able to do that. So what we're doing is we're going through and sorting it, storing it, having it prepared. When it gets to the right amount, we're going to take that that load, take it to the recycling facility. Now they need one person. Dump the bag in and recycle, shred it, and then turn around, and we've already closed the loop for people to buy that plastic back. So now we're calling it social plastic. And now the point is that digital currency, so the people that are picking up this deal, so when we sell it to the recycling facility, it's sold at a premium because all the work's done. Well, that premium then turns around, trickles down to pay uh, the pickers, the the businesses, the whole model. It's a circular economy model around plastic. And there's tons and tons and tons of plastic. And we it's estimated that we created 350 million tons of new plastic this year. So when I say that we're wasting our time in beach cleanups, that's why. We can clean until we're black and blue. If we don't stop the production of plastic, we're wasting our time. So this model is going to be able to pay pay people of the DR two to five dollars in U.S. currency, which is substantial. We don't think about that here in the United States. But when a person down there works seven days a week and they're earning fourteen dollars the entire week, this is substantially huge. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're able to take that currency and get real currency, get cash, or they can turn around and use it on social plastic um, marketplace and all the all the products in that marketplace are made from recycled plastic that pickers have picked up. Um, so it's a circular economy model that can incentivize. And now we're tying in beach cleanups as well and land cleanups with major league players. Uh, we have 28 academies on board down there with the Dominican Southern League commissioner. Had a meeting with him last time we were down there. Um, so we have 28 of the 30 teams tied into this project down there that we're going to do regular occurring beach cleanups, land cleanups. And what's cool about the digital currency is now we can do cleanups and maybe we want to donate all that plastic to helping build a school or um, pay for health care for a family, buy food, buy water, because people are able to use this currency to do just that. They're able to buy water. They're able to buy food. They're able to buy soaps and toothpaste necessities and um, luxuries that we should all really have access to. So, the point is to be able to create access and economical development for these people. The Plastic Bank is set up in Haiti, and they have 2,500 workers there now, and 63% of them have been raised above poverty line with this project. So we wanna, I want to. I'm taking it to Major League Baseball, the PA players, and the community to put a to put a movement behind this to raise the funds because. I can tell you right now, the budget to make this happen is a self-sustainable model in two years. And this budget falls well within Major League Baseball's market for budgeting or for marketing alone. Um, it is nothing compared to what is going on. Uh, I know that for one little league field, Major League Baseball just donated 400 grand the other day just to redo it. And we can create 6,000 jobs um, with that, that type of money. So it's a project that has a lot of potential. It's a project that Major League Baseball and the PA are very excited about. And it also helps when you have Cano and Ahmed Rosario, Andujar, Nelson Cruz, Rojas Jr., uh, Fernando, 
like there, there, we have a, a really strong backing from players. And my my goal is to get the MLBPA and Major League Baseball to come together and make this this project a possibility. How can can people regularly help like a regular civilian on the street? Can he help you guys or not yet? Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of ways. Obviously, donations are always great. But yeah, so we're working on like a fan experience idea. We're going to be hosting these cleanups and we're going to be hosting a large, large cleanup like the one we're doing December 6th. And we want to try to open it up to fans and create an experience where they come down for the cleanup and then we set something up for them, um, whether it's in Punta Cana or whether it's in the North Shore or San Domingo, wherever it might be to um, kind of create an entire experience for them as a total package. So that's something we're working on now. And I mean, this this Dominican project is um, under Players for the Planet. Um so Chris Dickerson created Players for the Planet. I took an official position inside Players for the Planet a couple months ago. And we have the local level. We have little leagues. This isn't just a project in the DR. This is a project to educate, um, to bring people to those beaches, to bring remote schools in remotely to do cleanups here in the United States. Um, one of our biggest levels that we're working on is kind of our, we call it our like local or community level. And that's the point. Children, leagues, fields, people that want to step up in their community to do it because we don't need, we don't need a hundred thousand people doing everything perfectly and recycling and being completely sustainable. And it's just hard. What we need is we need a billion people doing their part, just small places here or there to start making a difference in this. So people can help by reaching out. You, you have an idea for a project. I'm working on a project in New York right now where I want to bring um, the education side. I want to bring in a bunch of schools. I want to find the funding and I want, I want kids at their schools to create a sustainability project for their school. And then I want them to come present it to us in partnership with Suit Up New York City and be a transitioning where kids are learning about business. They're learning how to present. They're learning how to dress properly. They're going through these, these experiences where they can gain insight. And now we're also doing the initiative of now, how can we improve a school? So that's a project we're working on. So anything of that nature, I'm, I'm all for it. You casually said, yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to go in the air and drive around the island. Not everybody knows this. You got your pilot's license recently, right? I did. I've actually had my license since 2012. I got it while I was playing in Tampa. Uh, but as soon as I retired, it, it's something I've known before baseball. I knew that I would... Uh, end up flying planes. I absolutely love it. Uh, people almost get mad at me sometimes, but I'll be completely honest with you. I haven't missed playing the game of baseball one time. Uh, I truly, truly love being in in the game and being connected to the game still. And I really want to get my long-term, get my foot in with the PA. And obviously my goal is to get more than baseball to be that buffer between Major League Baseball, the MLBPA, and Minor League Baseball, and we can be that buffer for the players, for those organizations to reach and use us to to touch those players and help. So that's obviously my big-term goal is I, I would love to be have more than baseball, to have you know that influence to be able to come together and have a body of players that we can go out and find brand sponsorships, where we can go out and do events, we can do these things to improve the lives of minor leaguers. Um, because it needs to happen. So, you know, we're working on an insurance plan and a couple of things like that. So 
I love being in the game, but I don't miss it. And I don't miss it because the last four months of my life, I've been waking up, going to the airport and flying, doing aerobatics, flying warbirds, golfing in the afternoon, doing school after that, <laughs> working, studying through until 2 a.m. And I I absolutely love it. I love uh, Players of the Planet. I love what it stands for, the potential there. I more than baseball is really getting headwind, which has been tough because we have no funds. We're doing this completely uh, on our own time, supporting it through helping players by just raising money where we can, coming out of pocket. But there's some movement behind it. Um, obviously, with what the Blue Jays did last year, that was huge. That partnership helped because one of our biggest challenges is players are scared to get in trouble for being a part of this. So that was part of my meetings. Uh, with MLB and MLBPA, like, let's come out, let's make more than baseball an official uh, minor league nonprofit where people know that we're just here to help players in any way. So that's what we're really focusing on. There's a couple of teams that are looking at a consulting role for us where we can come in, look at their organization, um, and just see and be creative on how we can help players. Last time we talked, we did a quick podcast, I guess like a year or two ago, you were actually on a bus after a minor league game, like traveling, and it was like loud. It was crazy, and we were talking, and you just actually answered my next question. You retired retired like right after that conversation, and you said you don't miss it. You seem happier now, you know, happier now traveling, doing all this other stuff. Minor league-wise, you've been such an advocate for pay and stuff. Can you explain? Because a lot of people, they don't follow you on social media or Instagram. They didn't know. How bad are the conditions and the pay-wise down in the minor leagues? Yeah, so the average uh, pay, uh, give or take a couple hundred dollars, is this year was probably around, and we're waiting to compile this data to figure out exact numbers, but I'm guessing it's about $8,300 a year, maybe even $8,000 a year. The lower levels are making about six to 6500 and people at AAA level minus the Blue Jays. So the Blue Jays gave basically a 50% raise across the board, which was huge. Not a team. There's been people trying to get that done for 50 years now. Um, so that was huge to see a team step up and be able to talk to them about that process. And, and for them to call me and, and tell me before release that they were doing the raise, it was, it was a, it was a big moment for us because obviously with what we're doing, we get told daily that we're stupid, that this is dumb. This is never going to work, but you know what? Somebody's got to do it. And, and we have a great team. We, you know, we took the approach of we're not banging our head against the wall. We're going to go in and be water. We're going to find our ways to help all sides create that basically that circular economy philosophy in life. I truly believe in that. Um, but so perfect example, you know, one of my initiatives this year is the insurance plan. Minor league baseball players have a back end reimbursement for prescription drugs. It's the only plan in the country. Um, that we know of, and we've talked to three separate companies so far, but there's a back-end reimbursement. So you have players making a couple of hundred dollars a check. Out of that check, they're having to pay for living. They're having to pay for their food. They're having to pay for clubhouse dues. They're having to pay for equipment. People always think that equipment's covered for professional athletes. Half of major leaguers pay for their equipment. So if you break a bat, there's a hundred dollars. You need a pair of shoes, there's $100. You need a glove, there's $300. So guys go in debt trying to just get equipment, just trying to buy food. You have guys literally eating a piece of bread, one piece of meat, and one cheese, and they're going out and playing a baseball game for 145 straight days. And it's just, it, it's relentless on them. 
So you have guys that need prescriptions. So you have TUE guys that are ADHD or ADD and they have Adderall or Vyvanse. Well, that costs about $250, $300 a month up front for those guys. So now you've already taken one entire paycheck away. So that reimbursement process is about an eight to 12 week process. So now you've taken both paychecks away just for prescriptions. And now players are trying to figure out how to live because if they don't have that in their system, they get an 80 game suspension. So just because they have a TUE and, and if they take a drug test and they don't have Adderall in their system, then they get suspended for 80 games. Um, so you have guys that are rationing their, their doses. You have guys trying to figure out unique ways to make it last. So that way they, they have their medicine in their system. So that's just one small example. Um, you know, you per diem on the road, you get 2250 a day. Well, Clubhouse, oh my God. So clubhouse dues are 12, $12 a day on the road. So now you're down to $10 living on the road, trying to buy two meals with $10. And it's just, it's just not a, a feasible um, thing for minor leagues. And that's one of the biggest things we've pitched to teams is, look, I don't need you to pay players. Let's, let's be creative. Let's, let's use your foundations. Let's throw events. Let's bring community in. Let's build event, um, you know, businesses around players. Let's, let's be creative on how we, how we line these pockets a little bit better for these players and just create a, a, a scenario and ecosystem that, that you're able to focus on playing the game of baseball and not worried while you're standing on second base trying to score, how am I going to eat tonight? Or how am I going to feed my daughter? How am I going to, you know, provide for my family? How am I going to provide for myself? And if we can do that, we're going to create a lot better of a baseball player from, from a, a, a younger age all the way through the game. And I think that's going to result in more fans. I think it's going to result in more production. It's going to result in more wins. And I think there's some teams that are really starting to grasp that idea. And with press hearing about it and people finding out about it, I think there's starting to be a pressure behind behind this movement. Um, but my biggest deal is we, we're in a time period of the game that we do not need any more um, hostility. We don't need any more fighting in the game. And that was my biggest pitch to them is let, let us be the buffer. You know, there's a lot of contracts. There's a lot of things going on. Let us be the buffer that navigates those waters for both organizations and, and with our main goal of helping minor league baseball players. My question with that is this. You're saying, oh, let's let's be the buffer. Let's just – I know you're saying minor league businesses and stuff like that. How is in baseball – listen, the Yankees, billion-dollar industry, why can't money just trickle down a little more? Because you're going to get a 25-year-old – but Slade, here's my thing. He's a 25-year-old kid. Good player might have a daughter who's two or three. He might have to think, shit, I can't play baseball anymore because I need a real job if I'm if this goes another year or two, correct? I you know how many guys that I know that would be big league players if they just had the opportunity to be there? And they had to leave because of other circumstances. Family Yeah, like you can't live off eight thousand dollars a year. I'm sorry. Like that's a a fourth of minimum wage. <laughs> it's not you, it's about half. It's a little under half. So Slade, it's just like yeah, you said the Yankees can't do that. Why can't money trickle down easily? They can. There's no and reason not to. They're just not doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that's been in motion for, I mean, so from the 70s till now, the pay is almost identical for minor leaguers. There's been no inflation raised. There's been nothing. Actually, pay got suppressed. I mean, we know that whole story. I mean, I put my foot in my mouth, and I'm glad I did. I mean, it got warned by people like, hey, if you don't stop, you're going to be released. Well, release me. It's wrong. Don't suppress pay. And it didn't even bother me. It didn't even affect me because I was a free agent. 
So it didn't help me whatsoever to argue with it. But it's to suppress pay of minor leaguers in 2018? Come on. You know, do you have any idea? The, here's a trivia for you. Since you always throw trivia at me and I never can answer. <laughs> <laughs> here's a trivia for you. Okay. What is the title of a professional baseball player in the business world in terms of their uh, their job title? What do you mean? Like when they retire? No, like while they're playing, what is a professional baseball player called in terms of um, pay and things of that nature? I would say professional baseball player, Yankee third baseman. Seasonal internship. Really? That is what my really? that is what minor league baseball players are considered. That is their job title, and that is how teams are not able or having to pay what they should, which is fine. What's and like I said, this whole time, that's known. Cool. Let's just be creative. Let's figure out ways at, at affiliate levels. Let's throw events. Let's raise money. Let's get people moving behind this. And we can do it without having to take money out of teams' pockets. Um, I, I think teams are going to come around and start taking out because it's an investment. That's what I say. It's, you're not, we're not taking money out of your pocket. It's an investment. Invest in your players. You have guys that are, that are trying to stay healthy when they're eating a frozen peanut butter and jelly, which is, that's luxury, by the way. Peanut butter and jelly was a good day. So it's it, it's an investment. That's what we have to do. We have to shift this to where it's a it's a deficit for the organization. No, it's an investment. It's a long term investment for your players that you're already spending so much money on. Would it create some loyalty? Just say you're in uh, the Royals minor league system and you see how good they treat the minor league guys. And you're like, listen, this guy's loyal. You know, you get like college, high school basketball players. Maybe he stays with them, shows more loyalty. Any any uh, possibility of that? Yeah, there's a mix, honestly. The, it's so sad, but there's been some major leaguers that have told me, hey, we don't want minor leaguers' lives to be better because that's our job on the line. Wow. It's sad to hear that. It's sad to That's cutthroat. That. That's that's the game of baseball. That's I mean, that's why I couldn't stand playing in the minor leagues. It wasn't that I, I didn't really enjoy playing the game. I was tired of being in clubhouses where these 22- and 24-year-olds care nothing but themselves. That is where the game is like that persona is heading. And I get it. Like it's almost, you have to, it's a dog eat world. When you're making $8,000 a year, you have to look after yourself. So that's another thing. Like we have that, that, that philosophy almost, or that outlook on life. And you have guys in clubhouses that are like rooting against themselves. Um, and that happens at everybody, at every level besides the big leagues is like guys are, no, it's kind of competition. Like the guy that I'm in the lineup with is my competition to get to the big leagues. Um, so it's terrible to hear that. And, and I think that stems also um, long term. I hope that changes when guys start getting a little bit better of a lifestyle, a little bit more of a way that it can that it can then help. I mean, even if you paid every player and every for for an or, for the Yankees, if they wanted to pay every player minimum wage, which would be about three times what players make now, it would cost less than the average salary of one player in the big leagues. Worst or wackiest promotion you were ever part of? Ooh. Man, there's been some really bad ones. <laughs> some real, like, I'm, I saw one in Hagerstown, and I'm trying to, I just remember, like, how bad it was. They tried setting up some, like, bowling game, and it was like, just go buy bowling pins or buy something. And instead they'll use like all makeshift things. So it looked like 
my son was setting up a bowling game with a random collection of toys. And, and it just was bad. I was like, go spend $200 and, and get a bowling set. <laughs> Wasn't there a Slade Heathcott night? There was. I, and I actually, it was a day before or two days before I got released. <laughs> wait, wait. So they have the, they have the Slade day and then you got released. <laughs> yeah. And I knew it was coming. I mean, I had gotten a phone call because I had said something on, on social media about like, Hey, like this is ridiculous. Like they just suppressed pay and I had already gotten warned once. So I knew it was coming. Um, but yeah, they did a, uh, Slade runner night in Nashville. That's actually a pretty decent idea. What did people get? They get shirts, hats, anything or no? They got, yeah, there was some Slade Runner shirts. <laughs> I still have like 50 of them. I got a favorite. I was going to ask you, I was, I was going to ask if you have a Slade Runner shirt. <laughs> I do. I do. And I'm like, it's still funny because in that same, that same time period, it's like Slade Runner, which whatever. But now I'm like, I'm trying to get into running. So I was like, there's just another sign that this was meant to be. Question about uh, flying. What's the longest you've uh, flown so far in the air? Uh, normally planes, I fl- well, I flew to, I mean, I flew to Oshkosh from Utah. Um, I, I flew an old 1942 Beach 18 twin engine dragger. Um, and ironically enough, there, and this is the way I live my life. I get signs like this all the time and people are probably like, oh, okay, you're one of those guys. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I, I'm that hippie tree hugger, um, that <laughs> sees signs. But so I get to this flight school in Utah. So I, I moved from Florida. Because I want to go into DOD contracting. Like, I want to go in and provide help to people um, where there's not airports. I want to go get people out of places they shouldn't be in, bring medical supplies, whatever it might be. And I want to do that overseas. And so a lot of that is like off-field operation, landing in fields, making your own kind of runway setup. So I moved out to Utah and Colorado to do exactly that and do aerobatics because in 2020, I want to compete in my first aerobatic um, air show or competition. Um, it's something I want to do on the side. I absolutely love doing aerobatics. Uh, so I was out there flying T6 Texans, you know, the 300 and 330 extra, the Red Bull planes, um, the decathlon, which is my goal. I'm going to buy a decathlon in 2020 and I want to teach spin and upset recovery, which is the cause for about 90, 90% of, uh, the deaths in aviation. And I think it's something that's really overlooked and something I'm really passionate about. So I, uh, I was doing off field operations and things of that nature out there. So it's, uh, you know, lengthwise, it's, you know, four or five hours nonstop, maybe nothing crazy, uh, just due to fuel range. Um, you know, I've done nine hour trips where there's a stop in between or two stops in between. That's cool shit, man. Would you go every day? Um, lately I haven't. So the last two months, I'm or the last month and a half, two months, I've been dedicating it, uh, solely to all the nonprofits I'm working on. So, um, you know, I'm on a waiting list to start my CFI and I'm going to be a flight instructor after that. But I went out and did my commercial, my instrument. I got my tail wheel. I did, uh, four different specialty courses for off field landing. So I was landing on plateaus and mountains, old mining roads up in the mountains, like some crazy, crazy, Crazy uh, stuff. There one was, last, one last flying thing. When you're down in the DR, will you be flying around there, or are you gonna be with somebody? No, I'm gonna. I, I'll more than likely have to have somebody in the plane, but yeah, I'll go up and I will log PIC time, so I will be piloting control. Personal locker room question. You battled your own demons back in the day and stuff. A few days ago, ESPN came out with that report of a 
Tyler Skaggs, tra- tragic passing, and possibly other players using opioids. Is that something, obviously I'll never tell you to drop names, is that an issue in the locker room or is it something you really don't see that much of? I think we look around us. Um, I, I haven't just seen it personally, um, but look at the world we live in, right? It's everywhere. So it would be it would be naive of me to say that there, it isn't an issue. It's definitely an issue. Um, and this is something that I, you know, we're working on a domestic violence package with more than baseball. And this is another initiative that I really want to take up is, um, you know, just education or help around opioids, trying to create a, you know, because we all know about it now. Now we've got to figure out creative ways and storytelling opportunities, things of that nature. Service. That's one thing that I think is big with more than baseball. Players don't feel comfortable going to teams. Players don't feel comfortable going to EAP or Major League Baseball. Let us be that. Let us be that that silence that silent partner that's able to be there and, and that shoulder to lean on when they need it. All right, a few quick hits to finish up. You ready? Yep. Best baseball movie of all time. Sixty one. Come on. One player you were in awe of, like when you when you saw them in the locker room or on the field, you're like, holy shit, I'm next to who? Derek Jeter. What did you say to him the first time you see him? I wasn't as big of a fan of him. Um, I didn't have anything against him. I wasn't a big fan of him. Obviously, I was in awe. Like, wow. But he was really chill, really relaxed. So it was very, like, casual. Like, hey. <laughs> Wait, did you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Slade? Or? Oh, at that time, it was probably more along the lines of my accent of, hi, I'm Slade. How are you? <laughs> and we know how obnoxious and loud I was. So I guarantee you it was, hi, I'm Slade Heathcock from Texarkana, Texas. How are you? How are you, Mr. Do you call him Mr. or Derek? Uh, I think I just called him Jeter. <laughs> what memorabilia have you kept from, from your playing days? Uh, two game-worn jerseys. That's it? Nothing else? Three, actually. Three. Do you have Josh the one from the home run? Josh Hamilton. No, no. I, I did not. I tried buying my jersey. I tried buying my hat. Nothing. I wasn't allowed to. What do you mean you weren't allowed to? I'm confused. I wasn't allowed. Players don't own their like jerseys hats and stuff like that that players aren't teams uh sell that so you hit a home run with, with your uniform you can't go home and be like let me give this jersey I, to blank give this hat to whoever no no chance wow you can't, you can't i actually keep, never slate i've had a gazillion athletes on i've never knew that yeah you in in new york especially you are not allowed to keep anything i i tried i, I said just name the price um for my because I was on the active roster in 2015 for the playoff game against Astros. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I want my jersey. Nope. But where is I, it right now? No idea. They, they It went to an auction. Wow. And you have no idea. So someone has Slade Heathcott's jersey that you couldn't even – wow, that's fucked up. I feel bad for however much they paid for it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, if anybody ever hears it and they have it, tell them I'll, I'll, I'll pay them for it. One player you had to ask for an autograph from, non-Yankee. Josh Hamilton. And what'd he give you? I got a jersey. He was allowed to keep his jersey, apparently, because he's Josh Hamilton. Well, and <laughs> and the Rangers are a little bit different. I don't know about their memorabilia stuff, but um, each team's a tad bit different for that. But it's not the first time I've heard of it quite a bit. One player you thought was going to be a special, special player, and for one reason or another, injuries, uh, off-the-field stuff. Mesa. Who? Melky Mesa. Tell me about Melky Mesa. You, he was in New York, outfielder, five-tool guy, ran freaking like a gazelle. He threw 102, 103, stupid pop, but he couldn't touch a curveball. Probably the most gifted athlete in the game of baseball I've ever seen in my life in terms of just absolute 
raw power, contact, speed, arm strength, fielding ability. Like he was nasty and he was an awesome human being. So he's still, he was an indie ball when I was playing indie ball. And I think he's playing in the DR, uh, but just an absolute specimen. The Slade Heathcott playing the local softball league down there, men's Ooh, league baseball. I got asked last year and I said no. And I think this year I might, I might dabble. You might be the ringer or no? I might try to hit it to the moon. <laughs> ALCS winner. Ah, whoever wins this next game. So Yankees win. It's 2-2. You think the Yankees are going to win it? Yes. <clears throat> you're crazy. World Series winner. Whoever wins this series. Wow. So you don't, you're not confident the way the Nationals have been playing. That doesn't really uh, – they're on a hot run. That's it. I, I th- they're On paper, yeah, they're not half the team that – um, they're they're good. They're playing really well together. I think they have really good team chemistry. Um, but no, I, I think that um, if the Astros win tomorrow, they win it all. And that, and if the Yankees win, I think the I think the Yankees beat the Nationals. You and I are at a bar. We get locks and cream cheese at daughter, uh, Russ and Daughters. We go up to Jack Dempsey's bar. Who's the coolest dude in your phone? We have to impress everybody, Slade. No one cares. You played for the Yankees. You hit the walk-off home run. A-Rod grabbed your helmet. Nobody cares. Who's the coolest dude in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you right back? Elon Musk's lead engineer for uh, SpaceX. How did you get that phone number? He is a website designer um, and also has like a really strong design background and does some really cool stuff with uh, website. So I actually got connected to him with something completely different, but he is the lead engineer that is controlling and building all the heads up display and everything that the, uh, pilots or astronauts, if you want to call them, uh, use for everything, steering, speed, trajectories, everything. And here's why you're great. Cause when we hung out, we did hang out. We were going through your phone. The names you have in there, a-list athletes, A-list Yankees, future Hall of Famers, and you drop that name. That's why I always appreciate you. <laughs> well, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm in that entrepreneurial space, so it's uh, it's cool. I've been very fortunate to run across some really good, really really great guys like David Meltzer and um, guys that have really taught me some really cool lessons. Um, I, for example, David. Um, Run Sports One Marketing. One of the best lessons I've ever learned from him is um, to always take the first meeting. Just always be there for for people and always take the first meeting. And and there's no reason why you can't find time to give somebody five or ten minutes and um, just show and listen because you never know what you're going to hear. You never know who you're going to meet. Um, there's been some really cool cool guys that I've been able to cross paths with, especially in the past year in the business and entrepreneurial space. So it's, um, it, I'm really fortunate. And I think that's something that um, is very, a very powerful tool is just your network. I got to be honest with you. Every time we, uh, we talk, we text, whatever, your hands in everything, you're talking about this project and this project and man to man, the truth, bro, you're such an inspiration. And I really mean that you'll call me up, with some like wacky crazy idea and yet you have you're so passionate about everything you do you do nothing half ass and you know we joked about the Yankees and why the hell didn't Gardner bunt when it was first and second at no outs in the first but besides the baseball stuff as a man as a human you're such a good person man I really uh 
I'm really pleasured and honored to be friends with you, man. I really appreciate that. I know that uh, it's like the saying that our mothers always told us growing up, we are who are around. So it's nothing to do with me. Uh, my perception, my outlook, my drive, my passion is all because I've had incredibly awesome people around me. Um, even with my upbringing and my story to be able for me to sit here and, and say and think about the quality of people that I have around me um, is something that I'm, I'm truly, truly grateful for and something that I, I still even uh, get emotional about because I just have some truly remarkable and amazing people that are in my life and that have come in my life even for a short second um, that have impacted so much in the way that I look at things and the life that I'm trying to live and nobody's perfect. I'm promise you I'm the, I'm the least from being perfect, but I'm just very lucky. So it's nothing that I've been able to do. It's just, I've been blessed to have awesome people around me. I, I didn't even want to bring up your past and stuff, but do you ever do a speaking? Do you speak to a lot of kids, high school kids and stuff? Well, not really. I do. Yeah. And it's actually, I had a meeting yesterday. One of the meetings I've, I had with a company yesterday is, is truly about that. I, I really want to get into public speaking on, on a couple of different platforms. I want to speak to youth, uh, just about life, just about, um, you know, what it is to be a woman, what it is to be a man or what I think it is, or how do we go there together? Um, I want to speak about sustainability and, and things of that nature on this project. And I want to speak to players. I want, I think we have a lot of um, potential and skills that we never tap into solely because we're never told that. Um, and, and it's something that I really want to do. It's something that, I, I, that I'm really going to test out in 2020 is to get into as many speaking engagements as possible. Um, I did a speaking engagement in New York a couple months ago. It was Wells Fargo's first CSR event. So that was really good. And that's led into a couple people reaching out for speaking engagements. So I'm going to speak in Charlotte pretty soon um, and just try to expand from there and just see what happens. How far are you? What's the closest NBA city to you down in Florida? Orlando. How far is that? Uh, about 45 minutes. You coming up to New York anytime soon? Uh, well, I've got to come back up and meet with uh, MLB again, MLBPA. I'm just not sure exactly when. And I've got to go down to the DR and I've just got a couple. I've got the Vince Lombardi uh, Foundation's event in Dallas this weekend. Uh, so I just have a couple. I know for sure I'll be in New York on November 20th through the 23rd-ish. Okay. Uh, no, because I, I want to link up with you. I was going to fly down to check out the Knicks play the Magic. or Well, I'll, I'll, how about a good team play the Magic? But if you're going to be up in New York in November, we'll link up then. Yeah. Uh, I was actually just talking to my buddy about uh, – I've never been to Madison Square Garden, so I've been uh, talking about trying to go to a game there as well. I'll make a deal with you right now. You bring, and I mean this. You bring me up a Slade Runner shirt, and I'll get us hooked up into the garden. There'll be really shitty seats, but we'll sit in the nosebleed to watch the. Are you wait? Unless you're a Spike Lee kind of guy. I know you're a famous dude. Are you a Spike Lee? I have to sit on the floor kind of guy, or are you gonna sit there with the real fans? Bro, you sit with me. <laughs> I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna sit with the people that actually enjoy it, and I'm gonna drink a couple beers with them <laughs> in the process. I will see you in November. Make sure you bring me, bring me a Slade Runner shirt. You do owe me a guest, so you're going to get me a good guest on my show. And uh, thank you so much, man, for doing this. All right, brother. My friend, I'll talk to you later, brother. Thank you. See you, brother. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
Chumba. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.